Hello and welcome back to Just Saying Sports. My, I'm Jake Atnip here with Sean Dwyer. Go ahead, say hello, Sean. How are you guys doing? We're bringing back another episode of our weekly podcast. Uh, got a few things to talk about today. We're on the second day of the Masters, which we're going to make sure we touch on. And got a couple other little topics that we're going to bring to your attention and give you our hot little takes. Just remember, if you do like our podcast, to go ahead and subscribe on all major platforms, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, and of course on the Anchor app. Make sure you give us a like, a subscribe, a favorite. Uh, we'd really appreciate any shares that you could give us. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to get started off with the Masters coverage, 2018 at Augusta National in Georgia. So Sean, uh, competition's already heating up. We find out who makes the cut today. We got some big golfers not looking so good. Some, you know, some mediocre golfers doing their thing, you know, stepping it up just for that Masters tournament. So I guess we'll go ahead and get started off. Uh, We'll talk about everybody's favorite, Tiger Woods. So... Tiger did all right in the first uh, first round. I believe he shot plus one, but just after today, he is now at plus four. Looks like he probably isn't going to make the cut, but everybody's on that train, Sean. What do you think about Tiger Woods' chances? I thought putting Tiger into discussion for being in contention for the Masters this year, I think it was a bit premature into how he's golfed this year. I thought a lot of people put too much pressure on him this year because he's only golfed in two or three tournaments so far this year. He's had good showings in those tournaments, but they're not the Masters. The Masters is a completely different monster for most golfers. And I think that he it was too early into his return to put Tiger Woods on top of the favorites board for being in the Masters. And I think this is exactly, this is what exactly what I expected Tiger to do. I expected him to be on the cut line through day two. Well, now he's going to be working uh, working his way back towards the top if he makes that cut, but there's plenty of guys ahead of him. Uh, one of the guys who started out hot was old schooler Vijay Singh. Uh, I know he's not there at the top of the leaderboard any longer, but he definitely turned some heads in those first uh, 10 or 12 holes yesterday. And, uh, you know, the guy who's really been stepping up this whole time is uh, Mark Leishman. He led most of yesterday. He's leading most of today. Uh, he's got a pretty good leg up on a lot of these guys, but the big thing about Augusta is it really eats golfers alive, Sean. Yeah, Augusta is definitely a hard place to play. You know, it's on top of it being long, it's very hilly. It's very up and down. There's a lot of twists. There's a lot of turns. Um, a lot of the greens, you know, people have seen them before, people who have played in multiple Masters, but nobody's mastered them. I, my pick right now going into the weekend would probably be Jordan Spieth, Zach Johnson, uh, Ricky Fowler, some of those guys who have played Augusta four or five times and know kind of the lies they're going to get throughout the rest of the week, rest of the weekend. Yeah, well, the big thing about Augusta that I even saw yesterday, uh, by plenty of empirical evidence as well, is that the greens at Augusta are just nasty. They're ridiculous. <laughs> you cannot... No amateur can go out there. And it's been done. Amateurs have finished high before, but no amateur, I think, can win the Masters just based off the greens. It's it's hard to even see these professionals do good on these greens. Just yesterday, Sergio Garcia tied for the highest score on a single hole in the Masters history. Uh, I believe he shot a 14. 13. 13. Yeah, he shot a 13 on one hole. He got plus eight. It was a par five. And he hit the same shot, I think it was four times, Sean. 
Yeah, he had a good tin cup moment where yeah. he just hit the same shot over and over until yeah. he hit it. And that's what that's the definition of insanity is when you just keep on trying over and over. And he just couldn't get it to the other side of the pin. It was sit, laying on the right-hand side, and no matter how far up or how far past the pin on the green he hit it, it just decided to trickle all the way down past the hole, off the lip, and back into the water. So he actually had to take three water hazards in and up, you know, and he eventually just went ahead and put it on and tipped it in for his ice cold 13. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, it looked like to me when I watched the replays of it, it looked exactly like the scene from Tin Cup where he keeps hitting the ball and landing it and it keeps rolling off into the water. But finally there's that last time he hits it and he knocks it in the hole. I know Garcia didn't put it in the hole, but he put it right there. Tapped in for 13. Yeah, and I mean, that's exactly what he was trying to do the whole time and why he didn't change his stroke. I mean, if I were him, I would have just clubbed up, ripped it and dipped it, and then went from the backside, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm not really sure quite the rules at Augusta, but why didn't he take the drop? It it makes for just as hard of a shot, I would assume. Yeah. You know, when when, with that green, it had that backward slope, so it didn't really matter where you shot it from. It mattered where you hit it on the green. Yeah. So after you hit that shot once or twice, you know you're putting it in the right spot. I'm assuming that would just be a confidence thing, like, hey, I just need to get this five feet to the left and we'll be all right. Yeah. Now, one more ridiculous thing that we want to talk about here at Augusta is a pretty funny uh, media development that came out. There was a list published that was went to the security at Augusta National Golf Club, and supposedly there is an entire list of banned phrases and words that spectators are not allowed to use, and if so, they will be escorted out of the venue so we got a couple here. You know, I'm going to throw out just a few of my favorites. You demand. Not allowed to say that. Sweep the leg, Johnny. Once again, not quite sure. And, you know, my all-time favorite, R.I.P. Harambe. Not allowed at Augusta. And, you know, they think this really infringes on the First Amendment free right to speech, huh, Sean? I don't know if it infringes on First Amendment rights or anything, but I think this is just another case of Augusta National taking itself too seriously. I think that they think they are the upper echelon of society. And it's at the end of the day, they're a golf club. It's not like people are taking Augusta National more than it is. We see Augusta National once a year at the Masters. And other than that, we don't hear from them. So for them to have an, a, a list of stuff that includes, hey, security, can you pick me out of the sea of people? If someone says that, they get banned out of the tournament for the rest of the weekend and forever and saying stuff like blank name should be in the rock and roll hall of fame (laughs) if you're just going to kick somebody out if they're they're having a conversation with somebody (laughs) on the side of off to the side you hear you know blank and blank should be in the rock and roll hall of fame are you like oh well gotta kick him out now well i mean it might be saying oh phil mickelson belongs in the rock and roll hall of fame but but at the end of the day, to me, it's, yeah, the yelling that comes off the tee box and when people are putting after they hit it. You know, people are respectful enough to yell it after they hit it. It's part of what golf is now when you watch it on TV and live events. Just go with it. it as long as people, nothing on this list, to me, I'm looking at it right now, I don't see any profanity. I don't see anything... Well, there's, there's there's not profanity, but there but are some the very very popular statements out here. You know, well, it's dilly still, dilly, dilly dilly, Bud Light slogan. We got free meek. 
You know, Meek Mill's out in jail. Not allowed to say that at a jail. I don't even know who Martha Burke is. I Neither love Martha. I. I love Martha Burke. Is a band statement. Who yeah. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> to infinity and beyond. They don't want any Toy Story fans out on the golf course. Nobody beats the Wiz. Yeah, I mean, some of these are pretty ridiculous. Um, but Bikini wax. <laughs> but the big thing is, is that. I think Augusta has had this quote-unquote standard that they've tried to at least hold themselves to for a very long time. They have been very restrictive with their membership. They have been very restrictful with how how to play, how much it costs to play at Augusta. You know there's like a seven- or eight-year waiting list to even get on the waiting list to try and play at Augusta when it's not in service for the PGA. That, that's, that's, that's the thing that they take in pride in, and I don't think it's a bad thing if they want to keep their, I guess, their area, you know, profanity free but when you use some of these i guess punny statements or distracting statements i don't know if that's really grounds for expulsion from the masters no and i think one of the people that out of all this played this exactly right is bud light you know they had they came out with a response to this and it was exactly what you would expect bud light to do with this whole dilly dilly campaign they issued a response that starts off with Hear ye, hear ye. Your king hath received word that the guards of the green jacket plan to escort any patron who dare utter dilly-dilly off your premises. I think this plays right into Bud Light's Oh, well, that's marketing a marketing strategy. And yeah. I think, you know what, this list has probably existed for years. Yeah. It's just now, it's getting actual publicity. It Somehow it leaked or something and... It's, I don't think it's a good look for Augusta to be banning people for saying things that I guess would be out of the ordinary, but when it, when it comes to sports fandom, there's really nothing out of the ordinary. No, I think golf, you know, they try and golf has a certain standard that they hold themselves to where they're not going to get too rowdy. They're not trying to be Happy Gilmore. Or No, they exactly. They don't want Happy Gilmore out there, but I think at a certain point, golf is starting to take itself a little too seriously with... Thou cannot say dilly dilly. Yeah. Um, who the heck does it hurt if someone yell? If you got people yelling, hit it in the hole every time someone puts. If someone yells dilly dilly off the tee box, it's not going to hurt. Who anybody. does it hurt? It's not going to hurt anybody. Now we're just going to go ahead, pick our favorites for the rest of the weekend. Uh, obviously, we don't know the exact cut line yet, but it's looking like it's going to be right around that uh, plus one mark. Uh, maybe right at even. Uh, our leader is uh, Mark Leishman, and uh, Patrick Reed is right on his heels uh, right now. But with the way that these guys have been playing golf recently and they are sitting there at the top of the leaderboard, Sean, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give Jordan Spieth that green jacket. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Jordan Spieth's going to pull it out this weekend. I think he's he's my guy that I'm riding with. Now, he's uh, plus two in the second round uh, here on Friday, but he is almost done with this round, and he's still sitting in the top three. So that just tells you he already had a pretty good day yesterday and, you know, he'll still be sitting there towards the top today. So he really has to turn around for the rest of the weekend. But I think if he's able to get his composure down and able to really, you know, make those shots like the, you know, the dastardly amen corner for him, if he can just make that happen on Sunday, he'll have a really good shot to win. Yeah, Jordan Spieth, to me, if he plays the game that he's capable of, I think he could... To me, Jordan Spieth has always been that guy where if he figures out his game consistently, he goes on a run like Tiger did before. I think he can win multiple tournaments in a row, multiple majors in a row, 
he's got a good enough game. It's just that he needs to find some consistency. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our coverage on the Masters so far. We'll probably touch back on this coming up next week just to let you know what we think about the play that happened the rest of the weekend, how the course played, and how uh, everything turned out. So we'll go ahead and move on into our next segment, and we'll see you in just a minute. Welcome back to Just Saying with Jake and Sean. We're going to move into the last time we get to talk about one of our favorite topics for a little while, a little college basketball talk. We just had the national championship end here this past Monday, just after Easter, and it was really a interesting game, interesting matchup, interesting tournament to say the least. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just start off this segment by giving Sean the props that he deserves. He chose Villanova to win the national championship in our bracket show a few weeks ago. You know, I very unwisely chose Arizona, but this isn't about me. It's about giving Sean a little bit of credit. So, Sean, go ahead and gloat a little bit. Congratulations on choosing the actual national champion. Yes, I'd like to take my 10 seconds of fame to also point out that I picked North Carolina the year before also. So I'm on a two-year run of correctly picking the national championship in college basketball. So I should be on ESPN. I am more accurate than anybody on that TV show. Well, I don't know if that's 100% true. A lot of it could be educated guessing, but we're not quite sure around here. It's definitely skill. Definitely skill. Okay, well, for all of you out there who know that bracket games are a lot less skill than they are luck and avoidance of upsets, we'll go ahead and move into Sean's points on why he chose Villanova in the first place, and why do you think they turned out to be the ones that win it all in the end? I think Villanova turned out to be the team that won it all because of the model that they played with. They have been compared throughout the tournament, throughout now, as being the golden state of college basketball. And I think that model of playing, Golden State started it in the NBA. Now you see it moving to college basketball. And Villanova taking 20, 30 threes a game and only maybe taking and taking less two-point shots than three-point shots. Yeah. And I think that model is going to eventually move down to high school and then move down as far as it can go where kids can make threes. And so I think Villanova won this tournament. And I think might be they're going to be in contention next year. I know they might use a lot, lose a lot, but just based off the style that they're playing with. I think they're going to be in contention because they're ahead of the curve, in my opinion, in college basketball. For college, exactly. With Jay Wright embracing that aspect of shoot first, ask questions later, when you have guys on your team like Villanova does, like, you know, the most outstanding player of the of the um, uh, championship game, Dante DiVincenzo, who are just going to shoot your eyes out. It doesn't matter if you have one, two, or three hands in their face. They're going to put the ball in the basket or they're going to die trying. And, you know, Michigan kind of lived and died by the three. They have for years. But the thing is, is when you have guys like Villanova has, it's not living or dying by the three. It's thriving by the three. Yeah, and, you know, Michigan lived by the three and died by the three in the regular season. Once it got into more of the tournament, their offense kind of forsaken them, um, to so to say. But 
they didn't shoot the ball well in the tournament from beyond the three-point arc. I think that came back to bite them in the butt in the national championship game and also in the game against Houston, but they ended up getting the prayer and advancing. But Villanova came out with, you know who Dante DiVincenzo reminded me of in that game? He looked a lot like Clay Thompson. Okay. Just catching the ball, shooting, working out on the perimeter and just shooting, getting to the hole and just getting contact and getting some free throws. He looked a lot like Clay Thompson. But I'm not going to go overboard and say Dante DiVincenzo is going to be an NBA star. Yeah. He is the college equivalent of Clay Thompson But right you, now. you still have to remember that he came off the bench the entire season, basically. I think he started five games, they said. Because he came off the bench the entire season. He was their sixth man. Yeah, Phil Booth was hurt for a bit, so Dante DiVincenzo stepped in. And even looking at the box score right now, Dante DiVincenzo out-minuted Played more minutes off the bench than all of Villanova starters. You know, Jalen Brunson was in foul trouble for a bit. He only hit 28 minutes. Phil Booth, who DiVincenzo started for, hit 23 minutes. Dante DiVincenzo played 37 minutes in that game. The only thing that puts him off the bench is the technicality that he didn't start the game. Well, of course. But one of these things that you got to remember is this kid... Is one of the embodiments of why I think Villanova was such a runaway national champion. From the start, I think we both agreed that they were the best team in the tournament. We just thought that that tournament craziness might get the best of them, which it got the best of a lot of teams, obviously. That 16-1 matchup. A lot of crazy things happened this year. Yeah. But with Villanova, the thing that really impressed me was they had that offensive stride. You knew Villanova was going to put up 80 or 90 points in every single one of these games. The question became... Could they stop somebody else from doing the same thing? Because if you if you beat if you get in a Villanova where you're playing an eighty to eighty game, that's where it gets really interesting with them. They might not. I don't really think they're able to close those types of games out. But the thing is, is the defense that Villanova played in the national championship game is what really stood out to me. Michigan went through about a six or seven minute stretch in the first half where they weren't letting Villanova score. But the fact was, Villanova did not relent on the defensive end. Dante DiVincenzo, he made a couple of, I think it was three, of the biggest blocks I've ever seen in a national championship game. Even if they were up by 10 or 12 points, he had so much energy on the court that it changed the game. He had that two-handed block, I believe it was on Abdur Rahman. Uh, yeah, Matthews. It was, oh, okay, okay. So it was on Matthews. He went straight up, no foul, two hands straight in the air, had one hand on it. And knocked it away with the other as it got knocked out. Like, this kid was on his game. I watched him run the full length of the court and do a chase down block when there was nine guys in the square on the block. He jumped over everybody and did a block. He even swatted the ball twice in one jump. Got it knocked and locked up in the rim. This kid was all over the place. This was something that I think Villanova and Jay Wright practiced forever. They knew that it, all they had to do was outrun some teams, make a few six seven-point swings where they're up by six or seven, eight points, and then they can hold it in the bag. All they got to do is make one out of every three or four shots and make sure that they play defense. I think it really was just a show that they had a complete team and a complete squad this year. Villanova, to me, is the embodiment of what college basketball is going to be in the future. If you're looking at you know Villanova's stats throughout the year, they took – Okay, roughly 2,400 shots total through the entire year. 
and looking at it, 1,200 of those. So half of their shots yep. were threes. Okay. And they shot 40% on those shots. Their scoring average for the year was 86 points. And that's where I think you see the difference. There's plenty of teams. If you even look at our Michigan State Spartans, they shot 51% for the regular season. I think we averaged scoring 71 points per game. There was plenty of games where we were sitting around the 60 mark. Exactly. But that's because we had dunks on dunks on dunks, alley-oops and this. If you're shooting 40% from three or 50% from two, that extra point is still going to make up for those missed shots that you have from the inside. And I think that's what college basketball is starting to lean to. And I think you'll mention our Spartans. Tom Izzo is going to have to start advancing his offense, but that's a Different topic for a different day. <laughs> of course, that's going to be a long one. That's going to be a whole hour segment by itself. But Villanova, I think, was the best team in college basketball this year. <clears throat> and I think this is one of those year, one of those rare years where the best team in everyone's mind won the national championship. Now, do you think that had anything to do with the way the teams were seated? Or do you think that it's just one of those times where the rest of the field was so quote-unquote wide open that it only made sense for the front runner to run away with it. No, I don't think that Villanova being the best team in everyone's mind won them the national championship because let's look, let's look at the path that they took to get to the national championship game. They played Radford, you know, Radford a 16 seed, they were a one. Yeah. You know, UMBC made history this year but Radford didn't. Right, yeah. Next game, they have to come and play Alabama. Alabama's a ninth seed. Alabama probably shouldn't have been in the tournament. We talked about that to begin with. I but, was adamant about it wouldn't but have been. They beat Virginia Tech. They beat Virginia Tech. They won their they, first round game. They advanced. Alabama was not an easy out. Next, you have to play the team that I picked as being one of the hardest teams to play in the tournament, West Virginia. And they looked like one of the hardest teams to play in the tournament. Those first two games that they played, they were locking down all over the court. And they beat West Virginia by twelve. Yeah. Next, you play Texas Tech, Keenan Evans, a team that got hot at the right time, made a run to the Elite Eight. That's not an easy game. They beat Texas Tech. Then you got to play Kansas and Azabuki, Graham, Makai Luke, they, and they, Vick. they dismantled Kansas, and just they, like the rest of the teams in this entire tournament. And they took Kansas to the woodshed. Yeah. Then you got to play Michigan. Now, Michigan was not everyone's pick to come out of that side of the bracket and have the run that they did. Maybe... People in this state thought that, but, you know, we take, know, that, take we know. that for what it's worth. <laughs> but Michigan was not an easy out either. Michigan has, you know, for as much as I don't like some of their players, just for <laughs> personal reasons and being a Michigan State graduate, Michigan's a very good basketball team. Well, they wouldn't have made it as far as they did if they weren't a good basketball That's team. That's exactly the point. They were not... Nobody... I don't care if Michigan had the easiest run. And I, I, I am a proponent of that. I'll tell you... You know, just from the, from the argument that goes on in the, in the state that we live in, in Michigan, is, you know, Michigan played Montana, Houston. Arguably, Houston was the best team that they played all the way up until the national championship game. Obviously, they, they got by with their lives. But then they played Texas A&M, which looked hot, but they decided, Michigan decided to shoot their brains out and beat them by, like, 18 points because they couldn't miss a shot. And then they got to play a nine-seed in Florida State, who beat Xavier and I just did not think was the basketball team that belonged in the Elite Eight. You know, they didn't have any shooters. They didn't have anything. And then they get down to the 11th seed where they get to play Cinderella Story, Loyola, Chicago, which all I had to say was you just need to make sure you didn't overlook Loyola because at that point, you're in the Final Four. You don't know what's going to happen. But once again, they showed up. Beeline had them ready to play. 
He had a good game plan and knew how to shut those guys down. And he really, they really shut down Loyola. They kind of just outlasted Loyola. I think Loyola looked like they got tired from the whole thing. Like the whole tournament kind of just struck them at once with about 12 minutes left in that Final Four game. Yeah, Loyola died on the court with about 16 to 12 minutes left in that second half. I think that Loyola just as a team just finally collapsed as the Cinderella, I guess you could say they turned into the pumpkin Yeah, on the court, but... I thought Loyola Chicago through that first half, I thought they were going to beat Michigan. Oh, it definitely looked like it, especially because Michigan was not playing to their standards. But that was the thing that I was worried about that Michigan team throughout the entire tournament was they were going through six or seven minute stretches where they wouldn't score the basketball. It happened in almost every one of their games. It happened in one of their games throughout the entire season. You can go back to the two times that kicked the crap out of our Spartans. There were still runs in You're those right. games where Michigan didn't score. Yeah. And... What carried Michigan to the national championship was their defense. Yeah. And then those stretches where they couldn't score, they were also locking down yeah. opponents. And they weren't scoring either. And so people talk about Michigan having the easiest run to the Final Four in memory or whatever. Michigan was a legit team. They earned their right to be in the national championship game. Yeah. Now... I still thought Villanova was going to rout them. Yeah, I, like I, they I even, did. And I, I not even I even have heard a lot of UM fans telling me before the fact they're just happy that they made it. They knew that Villanova was a bit of a hill climb, especially after not playing the competition that you kind of need to to win that type of game at the end of the season. You know, in 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 your air quotes there. But I think that Michigan deserved to be where they were. But I also think that they got really lucky. On how they got there. Yeah. And I will say that they earned it. And I will say that Beeline did a really good job of making sure that they were prepared to win against every opponent they faced. I'm, I don't think that they could have beat everybody in the tournament. But the game plan that was put in front of those Wolverines before they went and played these games really made the difference. Because all they had to do was stay within a game plan and let their defense do the work. And I think that helped them out. But with all that said and done, I think that Villanova is much deserving for their second title in three the last three years. You know, it's hard to think that anybody keeps up that type of success, but we've seen it. The New England Patriots, the Golden State Warriors, you know, the... Um, Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, yeah it, even yeah, just didn't even think about the NHL. There's pl- Alabama Crimson Tide football. Like, there's plenty, even Clemson now, been in it so many years in a row. There's plenty of opportunity to get a dynasty in college sports going. And as long as Villanova and Jay Wright stick to the plan, I think they have a good shot at keeping it up. Yeah, what's going to be the big thing for them is if Brunson or Bridges, I think I think one of them's a junior, one of them's a senior. Brunson's um, a senior, isn't Brunson's he? Brunson's a senior, I think, I'm pretty sure. But um, if they get one of those guys back, I think that they're – ready for another run next year. If they don't, I think Villanova falls off a little bit. But then I think once they get those young guys back up, I think they're going to be right back for 2020. Of course. Now that's going to end it for our segment and our year in college basketball. It was a very exciting one, and the tournament proved to be everything that everybody wanted and more. Even got people a bunch of free Little Caesars pizza this past week. Exactly. You know, Little Caesars gave out a free... Lunch combos for yeah. the 16th seed beating the one. Yeah, thank you, UMBC. I know I didn't get a chance to take advantage of that offer, but I know there was plenty of people lined up outside of our local Little Caesars ready to rock and roll because nothing beats free food, am I right? No, not at all. And they always, said, they always said that in college especially. You know, how to, you know how to get people in a room is free food 
and free, free beer. Free pizza. Yeah, free pizza and free beer. There's no other way to get a group together. So I think Little Caesars did, did one thing right on their marketing side. But like I said, we'll go ahead and wrap up our show for today. Uh, once again, if you really like it, go ahead and give us a subscribe on whatever platform you're, you pr- uh, frequent listening to, you know, Apple Podcast, the Google Play Podcasts, and also on Anchor. Make sure you give us a favorite, a subscribe, a follow, a like, and share all you can. Once again, this is Just Saying Sports. I'm Jake Adnip. I'm Sean DeWire. Thanks again, and have a great afternoon.